This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, on Valentine's Day 2021, we welcome Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional. Chris has a show later today, along with the Get Up Kids, and it kind of feels like a normal day. So if you want to learn more about these live streams at their respective sites and social media, do that. Dashboard Confessional or the Get Up Kids. Snag a ticket and support now, if you're in the future, my guess is that these will be available streaming, or in this episode's case, you have a nice track-by-track track of some songs Chris picked to chat with me. Super fun. What makes this day so interesting is that on March 11th, 2020, I saw Dashboard Confessional and the Get Up Kids at Webster Hall in New York City. It was the last show I saw and my last night in New York City after living there for 16 years. I haven't seen a show since, and it's not coming up on a year of that, and many things have happened to me personally and professionally that reset my life and the world around me and many people in my life. Chris had the same story, and more severe, actually. He was in an accident and had to relearn many things we take for granted at even this performance. It's a testament of love that he was shown after that day for him in Nashville, and to see him perform and get to play is an amazing thing so i hope everyone enjoys the live stream now you also get to watch the get up kids later today so that's pretty great and maybe in some ways feels normal again we're not there yet and i hope i can see these two bands again in person and hopefully you as well at a show soon thank you to the patreon supporters out there you help this podcast the site this endeavor check it out on patreon.com slash washed up emo this is episode 186 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confession. And if you think that I'm still holding on to something, you should go and love yourself. Because if you like the way you look that much, oh baby, you should go and I really wanted to do it on Valentine's Day, so we just did it. It must have been such a release to be able to play. Man, I've got to be honest with you, Tom. Like, the the state I was in before, the, you know, in the run-up, as I've been, you know, I started relearning how to play guitar probably early fall, and it just wasn't clicking. Like, it wouldn't happen. And then it all started to fall in place in the beginning of the winter. But it was physically difficult. Like, my, my muscles couldn't handle it. And even up until the week of the that we taped the stream that we performed the stream, is it fair to say stream when you when we yeah. performed our when we did our performance right. to be streamed, even that week before, like if I just held a pick in my hand, 
just the pick, but I held my arm up as if it was playing the guitar would fatigue my right arm so hard that so, so, so completely that I'd be sweating. It felt like I was carrying furniture, but the week of the, the, the stream, the week of the performance, it all released. And I, I, I was really sore after we played, but it was total freedom while I was doing it. It was the first moment I'd had of that, and it, we caught it on tape. Wow. Yeah, and I was able to play, you know, just like some people like me, like you can't even, like, there's a lot of people that know this, This, not everybody, but most people do probably, you know, you just, you're not in the room with people anymore. And if you are, it's not as many people, and it's certainly not the people you're used to being around in a lot of cases. So to be back with some of my bandmates, the ones that live close enough, and rehearse a couple of times and then play in a beautiful setting. And, and it, it, it really felt like a show and everything about playing, like the connection we had as to each other as, as bandmates, the way our voices all overlaid with each other, especially adding our friend Abby to the mix, who we, who we play, Abby Kelly plays with us a lot, but not really live yet. We thought we would have had her on more shows by now, but then the world stopped. Um, and have, and to, and to, it, obviously there weren't wasn't an audience there but there was a few people there you know to film and that was enough for me it was enough for me to slip into that performance spot and it and we all were playing with like as as our a group of friends long you know finally getting to be together i i couldn't have asked for a better way to come back i guess the only better way to come back would have been with the whole audience there right which i know we've texted about this but it just it's so weird that that last night, my last show was your show. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. You know, it's like so the, weird. The, we share that moment. I mean, you, you have like, everybody knows and will always know where they were when, when they, when the realization set in and it was staggered. It wasn't the same day for everybody. Um, but for you and I was, and I don't know if you recall, but, you know, when it's our, it was our second night in Manhattan, but we'd also been in New York for several days because we recorded at Electric Ladyland on some days off we had there. So we'd been there probably four or five days, maybe mm-hmm. six days. And the city was just bustling, as I've always known it to be, having been a New Yorker for a long time myself. Um, just the city I knew. But do you remember leaving the venue that night? Yes. Um, and the 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 almost um post-apocalyptic silence that was everywhere and 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 no one was anywhere to be seen i walked from the lower west side lower east side to the to the lower west side and there i don't think i saw anybody i walked to my old apartment and it was like a route i i knew like the back of my hand and i was taking in everything and i couldn't believe the 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 silence and i couldn't believe the solitude I, i i had in that moment it felt um, ominous. Yeah. I, I, in uh, very similar, I remember leaving and, um, didn't want to take a cab. I just wanted to walk and I walked from Webster, which is 10th and third or something or, um, and then all the way to 46 and 10th where I, where I lived. And it was like, I can't take a cab. And then the businesses were closed. That same thing of like, why is this closed? Why is this closed? Why is this place empty? And I was like, something is just this is not 
this is not normal. This is something's changing. And it was, and again, it's just with these shows. Cause it's like, um, you know, get up kids are playing. You you're playing on the same day. Uh, this has happened, you know, it's sort of almost a year and it's just, I don't know. I, I, it, I always joke with people I talk to. I'm like, Hey, a, a year from now, we're just going to be home. And that sounds so weird for folks like you and I, that we're, we're, we're out. We're, we're seeing each other. You're traveling. Um, so yes, eerie is probably the perfect word so, for it. So that last show that I played, I had the get up kids is, you know, on tour with me and, um, and you know, the, the get up kids, the guys in the get up kids and I are great friends and we talk all the time. And I think it's kind of not surprising at all that I, I didn't know until after we had set up everything for ours, that they were coming back that day too with the stream. So I, I felt like we were on tour again. Right. When I found that out, oh, yeah. we're going to have a show together. Yeah. Even not together. They're, they're independent of each other, but there's still like, there's a sense of camaraderie that I feel anyway about it. There's a lot of people setting up zoom hangouts and they want to watch them together back to back. And I don't know, Chris, I, th- like you said earlier, like cosmic, like, I don't know. There's just, this is all like, this is good. Um, and for you so to let's have, talk about this then. Yeah. Where do you think, where do you think we'll be playing next Valentine's day? Or should I say, should, do you think we'll be out in the world playing and will it be normal? My, pred- my prediction has been, um, mid 2022. Okay. And I hope it's not, I don't, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's too, that's as late as it'll be. I hope it's not. I feel like the, the, just the events of the last few days have changed my attitude towards that. Like it's plausible now for shows to be back before the end of the year. I don't know about tours, but right. shows. But shows, and, right. And, um, and I think, you know, with the new, with uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Yep. With uh, the, what, right, it's like, now. it's at like one dose one, and, right? Yeah. And it's, and the, the rollout of the vaccine itself being ahead of schedule in terms of vaccination numbers, mm-hmm. I hold out hope. And it's nice. I only say that all to say it's really nice to feel hopeful. And you know what? I may be wrong. I may, it may be as late as you say, and that'll be okay too. But I get to, I've decided I get to enjoy, it's like buying a lottery ticket. Right. On, and the drawing's a few days away. And for like a couple of days, you get to just feel like, yeah, there's, there's a chance though. And that's, and, and I like that feeling. I'm going to embrace this feeling that there's a chance and that it's, it's, as likely to happen as it is to not happen. And that's not how it's felt for the last year. Right. I'm hopeful then I I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, um, I hope I'm not sandbagging or, or, or I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it is sooner because it, it's funny even being here in LA now and like talking to friends and it's just like, how many times would have, would we, would we have already been at the Troubadour? <laughs> <laughs> like how many yeah. times would we have already like I would have uh, like all these shows would have come through and it's it's this disruption of not just of many things but of like personal things and connections and that that community that I think we all were sort of came up from you know where where you felt that I felt that that that's why we're doing this and we're we're and lucky that's, that's how I'm wired. Yeah, I think you mentioned said wired before, but that's how I'm wired. So, um, one thing is, as we as we sit here, it's what the second week of February, and um, 
or nearing the second week of February. And this is when I would, so when we, when, and this time last year, we were kind of beginning, we were in the beginning stages of our, of our 20th anniversary tour for Dashboard. And as I sit here now, I know that I would be just getting home from that tour. Like I would have been home for Christmas, but I, I, but I would have just gotten off that tour for an actual break for the first time just now. Wow. That's hard to fathom. That this whole time it would have been that. Yeah, the whole time it would have been that. And then the other factor that I have when I feel like bizarre about this whole thing is that I live in Nashville. So I go to shows like you do, like just constantly when I am home. So if I had the opportunity to be home, not playing my own shows, I'd have been taking in tons of shows. Right. Just going to show after show after show. But yeah, so I guess we're kind of, we're, 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 we're kind of beating the drum here, the same drum. But you know what? This feels so much like what music should feel like to me. I really hope that's what it feels like to people that are going to take in a show this way. You and your fit friends anyway I'd take them all out any day brilliant dance you know lyrically it really kind of spoke to me about the moment i was in when i was in the accident and even just before you know when it was just covid that was kind of like making everyone so isolated but once i was you know healing from all these breaks and bedridden and all that so this is odd the painful realization that all has gone wrong and i just kept thinking about and I just kept thinking about, uh, you know, songs I hope to play again one day, hope to be able to play again one day. And and that song, the song Brilliant Dance really resonated with me from very early on, which isn't to say I sat around thinking about my own songs. But when I would start to daydream about being able to play music again, that was one that I'd come to. What was it like um, playing this one again? And were there, were there things that you didn't realize about the song? Because, you know, when you kind of relearn something or remember um, things come back that you didn't think of anything for brilliant dance. But the brilliant dance was actually the first song I played and sang um, after I was able to really hold the guitar long enough to play a song. It had been on my mind, I guess. And um, it stayed there. And when I played it for the first time, it was, it was really physically hard to do it, but it was just an absolute emotional victory. The song had a deep meaning to me before my accident, but um, when I when I was able to play that song for the first time again, and it wasn't that I and I couldn't play it well, um, and I sang it, and I couldn't play it well. But when I sang it, it just felt like such an emotional victory. Um, so the song that I've lived with for a long time and already held a a, a a powerful meaning to me has been imbued with a whole a whole new meaning and it's, it's become probably more special to me than it ever was before i often wonder if living in your letters was the first song i ever wrote that that would become dashboard songs i know it was either screaming infidelity's sharp hint of new tears or living in your letters but i always come back to thinking it was living in your letters and now as i was um 
and playing my songs again, um, I realized I didn't even remember. It had been so long that I didn't even really remember how it went. And the, the song felt really new to me and still does. It's, it's like, it's like finding a free song. It's kind of like, like finding 20 bucks in the, in your pants in the dryer. It's fantastic. And, and a little gift. Screaming Infidelities has been reinvented by my band and I over and over. And there's been a lot of covers of the song and it just has taken on all these different shapes. And um, in the spirit of that, we tried to reinvent this song again when we played uh, and we tried to reinvent the song again as we rehearsed for the stream performance. And I feel like it really translates the way we've done it this time. What was it like playing that song and, and not hearing people sing back for me screaming infidelities has the audience in it it's part of the song so to play it without people it has been one of those moments where i'm starkly reminded of how starved we all are to interact with each other turpentine chaser has been out of the set for a while it has a definitive live version i think with with mtv unplugged and so we set out to give it new character and as I, I played it, uh, as I thought the structure might be for this uh, performance, I tried to give more and more space within the song. I tried to give space so that if maybe you were out there and felt like singing along, it wouldn't feel like you were singing over the song. It'd feel like you were singing with the song, in the song. That's really interesting to give that song more space because you're right. It's sometimes those things overlap right chris i think oftentimes my songs i have that heavy right hand and i like to pedal the notes and it's just filling up the space with this great aggression um but i do think sometimes that can push the listener away from from the ability to experience um the song as if it's as if it's happening around them as opposed to just happening like right in their face. And I wanted it to be an inviting song, which is kind of hard to do with like a belter of a, of a song to sing. Um, but I, I tried to create a space where we could be in there together. Best Deceptions is the first song that I wrote for the places you've come to fear the most and, and in a lot of ways set the template for what that record would be. I thought it was reverent to the kind of music I had made only just months before when I, when I made Swiss Army Romance. Those two records have, were made in quick succession. So I still had a record and the writing of it kind of in my mind and where I wanted to take it was pretty clear to me, but I didn't have a way in. Um, and I wrote The Best Deceptions um, and I could find new territory um, with a new batch of songs. Uh, and that was the key. That was the key to finding out that I would be able to find new territory in the next batch of songs I would write and that they would have that relationship to the record I've made before. I thought it was really important and think it's really important. And I've done it well sometimes and not well others, but to draw the records together so that as a, as a listener, but also me as a player, I can, I can draw parallels between the records and the songs on each record and where they're going to go next. Or I hope they go next. Talk about writing burning heart. I was in England and I had a, a snippet of a song and I'd sat with that snippet from, for like a month, but I was in this cold dressing room and not much to do. And I, I had my guitar and I was playing and, and that 
that little bit of a um, start that I had, a song start that I had, was what I played. And the whole song, Burning Heart, just spilled out. Um, and it's a very lyrical song, as are many of my songs, but this might be the, the longest stretch of lyrics that never, ever repeat. And I only say that because I was so sure that this song was worth all the energy I could find to put into it, that I played it with the lyrics spread out all over the stage that very night, um, only, you know, an hour after writing it, finishing it, I was there playing it. And um, I've been dying to play this in front of people and, and put it out in the world really put it out in the world. This is my first chance. Tom, every now and again, when you write a song, you almost get it right. The fact that you got it a little wrong really can really gnaw at you. Now, sometimes those moments can be kind of magical, but other times they're just, they just kind of stick with you as like, it, it needs to have more. And when I was recording the song Dusk and Summer, I was encouraged to not make it first person it's a small change but it's it lost all its teeth to me so when i had opportunities to play this in front of people since i've often finally made it first person and doing it this time um with all this new life experience that we've all had this last year i really felt like i owned that storytelling moment in a way that this song is needed for a long time and it was almost a sense of relief to put it in front of people in my mind and know whether they liked it more or not. It didn't so much matter. What mattered was that I, I'd, finally, I'd finally given the song the perspective I thought the song deserved. So Impossible is from the So Impossible EP. So Impossible is from the So Impossible EP. And all those songs, there's four. Uh, they tell one story. I wrote So Impossible second. I don't know the order of Remember to Breathe or For You to Notice, but I wrote Hands Down first and thought that I'd completed the story I told the whole thing. Minutes after I uh, finished Hands Down, I started playing at the guitar, noodling, and just that the, the first chord front that would become this, this first chord in So Impossible sounded like more song, sounded like more story. So I chased it. And again... Another song just spilled out. If I had written, tried to write anything else that day and it didn't turn into the song so impossible, if it had gone any other way, I don't think I'd have written the next two. I don't think it would have been what would be later a, a four-song story. It would have just been one thing and it would have been a snapshot. I feel really uh, proud uh, of So Impossible because it kind of gave me the gift of, of being able to broaden the story at the time. The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most record was nearly complete when I went into the studio and I didn't have one song. I had, I had in, in terms of numbers, I, I wanted it to be uh, 12 songs. I had 11. I thought to myself, well, that'll be good enough, but it just kept sticking in my head. Like that's almost the full length I want to make. And just a day or two before I went in to record the places you've come to fear the most, which was untitled at the time, I sat down, and the song, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most, spilled out. And it was so um, indelible in the moment that I knew then I would call the record 
the places you have come to fear the most. And in retrospect, I feel lucky that I was so certain in that moment that that song should be on the record, that it should be the, the title track. Um, and that's because it absolutely does. I, I didn't even have the perspective to sit back and wonder and think and all that stuff, but it really does tie that whole record together. I play so long, so long on the piano normally. Um, but I've been playing it on on acoustic guitar and it's been happening on the, the, the tour that was pulled was the 20th anniversary of our, of our, of me starting the band. And in all those years, live shows, I've had lots of sing-alongs, but I was in LA last Valentine's day and not really knowing how to play the song and guitar. I just started playing and I realized, oh, this sounds like so long. I'm going to chase it. And I started singing the song. And in that moment, I got it all right. I was really lucky. But at the end, the crowd sang the parts that are just melody with no words. Da, 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 da. The crowd started singing it with, it was just ferocious. It was huge and sonorous and beautiful. And, um, and I've, I, I, that's the moment I'm longing to have again, the single moment of the live show that I'm, I'm desperate to get back out and experience again. Heartbeat here. So I'll tell you something, Tom, I don't say all the time. I've said it once in a while, but you know, hands down is about a really specific moment at the beginning of a relationship when there's nothing but possibilities. Maybe there's not even a relationship, but the possibility that one looms so uh, completely, um, that you're, you're there. You're just there. And I think every one of us have had that experience and you go back there all the time, whether you realize it or not, if you're with that person or with someone new or not with that person, but especially if you're with someone and you've been for a long time, you know what that, those early moments were like, you draw on that a lot, but heartbeat here to me, but heartbeat here is my version of what hands down is now. It is in the now, in the relationship I have with absolute conviction and trust and faith. And so it's that belief I have in her and my commitment to supporting her and my belief in its importance is as powerful a, a, an emotion as I've ever experienced. And it's such an active emotion. It's not reactive. And I found a way to exemplify that in, in a song. And for that, uh, for that, I feel lucky. Don't wait. It was pretty early in my recovery from my accident when Armin Jay called me up and said, look, let's play a little music. I told him, I really can't play any music. He said, well, can you, can you sing? And I said, I can, I think. And he said, well, I'll come over, I'll play. You play what you can and we'll sing together. And so he came over and we, 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 brought, we brought out our guitars and he strummed the chords for Don't Wait. And I played a very sparse version because that was my uh, extent of my ability at that moment. And it was um, the performance 
was haunting. It wasn't sorrowful, but it was haunting. It's not a sorrowful song. It's not a sorrowful song. It's got, uh, it's a song about uh, hope and conviction, but it was a haunting version of that song. I recorded it and thought, uh, I recorded it for reasons I don't remember now. I don't remember it sounding good. And I certainly didn't want to remember it like what I sound. And I certainly didn't want to remember what I sounded like on that day. Um, with so little ability, you know, and, uh, I'm glad I did because what I captured on that tape, what AJ was doing, what I was doing, um, it added up to more than I could have expected. It it really became more uh, when I thought it was becoming less or had, when I thought it had become less vindicated is, uh, timely. Um, I felt victorious. I felt redeemed. And, uh, I am victorious and I am redeemed. I had a difficult thing to get through. I had lots of support. I know everyone can relate to that on some level because I know everyone has been affected this year beyond COVID, but I just felt this, you know, for the, to be able to play music again and have it, um, come out and have it have a lack of resistance. It was just an ability again. I felt vindicated. Stolen. It's a pretty good love song. It seems like a good thing to play on Valentine's Day. Hands down. This song was the introduction to so many people from my band. And for many people, it's um, some kind of anthem. And for me, it's about the best day I've ever had in my whole life. Tom, listen, thank you so much for, for being there for me when I was going through this um, and uh, being so encouraging as I've been coming back out of it. Um, but I also want to say, you know, there's fans out there that I, lots of them that I know, I know them well, I know them personally, I've known them for years and years, but there's also uh, quite a few that I, that, I'll, that I've never met and hope to one day meet. Uh, maybe I'll never meet that. They all reached out to me as you did and, and, and checked on me and sent uh, books or, or paintings or, or gifts of every variety. Uh, just a, just a constant encouragement that I could do this, um, that we, that we could get through this. It, it was a, it was a real feeling of community. Like it, it was a common effort that we were all going to get better this year and we were all going to get better from this year. And we were going to all, we, and we were, and we were going to all move on to brighter, brighter days. Um, so to them, I say thank you. To you, I say thank you. And, you know, I, as I, I say at, at every show, uh, and it bears repeating now, you know, to you, to them, I'm Chris. Along with you, we are Dashboard Confessional. Chris, it is beautiful to hear your voice. I love you, buddy. Appreciate everything. I really appreciate you. So grateful. Cool. 